Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by Jaguar Land Rover Laval. Get out of the big city and experience a construction zone free test drive. There is such a thing. Episode seven of the Standing By podcast was the last episode. This is episode eight. (laughs) (laughs) Off to a flight start. Back to you. (laughs) Thank you. Episode eight of the Standing By podcast. Terry DeMonte and Ted Bird. You can see we have a very, very, very special guest. Very excited to get going with that. Um, And before we start, as we do on every episode, uh, we want to tell you how grateful we are to the folks at Jaguar Land Rover Laval. Well, we owe them a huge debt of gratitude on a couple of levels. A, they've come on board as our title sponsor for the second season in a row, have Jaguar Land Rover Laval. And B, when Terry comes into town from BC to record these, they always set us up with a vehicle. And these particular podcasts are being recorded, or this particular season is being recorded in February. And uh, the forecast for the next 24 hours includes 15 centimeters of ice pellets and snow. And we have a Land Rover Discovery Sport. So there's a pretty good chance that there will be episodes 9 and 10. (laughs) Because if we can't get here in that vehicle, no one's getting anywhere. That is a beautiful vehicle, as all Land Rovers and Jaguars are. The difference... uh, being that uh, the customer service. Uh, That's what separates Jaguar Land Rover Laval from so many other dealerships. Uh, The customer-centric approach, it's all about keeping the customer happy, and they have a process that they go through in your buying experience and your ownership experience beyond the purchase. Uh, They stay true to that, and it starts at the top with Nino and Renato DiCubellis and goes right on down through the whole staff. Uh, They will not steer you wrong. Trademark steer you wrong? Yeah, it's trademark it's of their ours. Car guys An- another steer. yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a um it's another family run business that treats you like family. JaguarLaval.ca, LandRoverLaval.ca. I was thinking about uh, our guest last night and I cannot think of somebody who's had a more interesting journey. If life is a journey, what a journey Chris Nyland has been on and uh um, a new chapter is just about to start in Chris's life again. And uh, I, Ted said, text Chris. And I said, I don't want to bother him. He's got a lot on his plate right now. And, and I thought, oh, well, I'll text him and ask him. And he can just say no. And right away, yes, I'll be there. Chris Nyland, I'm so grateful to you. Yeah, uh, Thank thanks you. for having me. Thank looking, you so much. Um, I was looking forward to doing this with you guys, certainly guys that I've known over the years. And, um, yeah, um, you coming out here from BC? I said you flew all the way here. How can I not be on this thing? <laughs> God love you. I I don't know where to start, but I guess we'll I guess we'll start with with the most recent events. I, um, you know, as you know, Ted and I have been in radio a very long time, and uh, when you run a radio station, um, it's nice to have some marquee names at that radio station. 
and you got off to, as you admitted, uh, you know, when, uh, how many years were you at TSN? 10. Right. So in the first year, uh, first couple of months, a bit of a slow, rocky start. But every single week that I listened to you, and I listened to you every day, um, you just got better and better and better to the point where, as you know, I was, you would do interviews and I couldn't get out of the car and I would immediately text you and tell you this is one of the best interviews I've ever heard. And you were sailing along and I thought you were a marquee player. And then suddenly, um, your contract isn't renewed. What, what the hell's going on there? Well, it was renewed, but it was terminated. Um, you know, and thanks for the kind words, but I certainly, um, when I look back at the beginning, how brutal I was, uh, you know, I was always looking at the clock. I got to be out at this time and I got to hook the next segment. I didn't know any of that. And uh, quite frankly, um, the guy, Mitch Melnick, who helped me certainly in a big way to get that job and Wayne Buse, um, I didn't get any help from him. It was like, go ahead, swim. It was like my father taught me to swim. He threw me out over my head, and that's it. <laughs> and, and I, Sean Campbell was a big part of helping me along. Yeah, Sean's terrific. That. So he was awesome with me. We built a great partnership over the years, and uh, I loved working with him. Um, as far as what happened, um, you know, I was, um, well, everybody at Bell, TSN, Bell Media, was uh, – asked to be vaccinated. Um, I had issue with being vaccinated. And uh, one, the main one, was certainly my health. Uh, and the second one was my freedom to choose what I put in my body. But the first and foremost was my health. And um, I'm not vaccinated. I'm not getting vaccinated. And they gave me an ultimatum by February 1st. Um, I had to be vaccinated or I'd be terminated. <clears throat> and... I ended up getting a letter from um, Mr. Gray saying that um, if I don't, you know, because I'm not vaccinated, they're terminating me, blah, 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 blah. Thanks. Thanks for your 10 years or whatever. But, you know, listen, I don't look at it as a, you know, it's nothing against Chris Nyland per se. Company had a mandate. Um, I, it wasn't performance based. Uh, I didn't say something bad on the radio. Uh, I I think my my ratings were fine. Um, we had a good thing going. I think <clears throat> I gave that station um, something that they didn't have before I got there, and won't have moving forward. As somebody who's actually played the game, and n- no offense to anybody who works there or talks about the game, uh, they certainly. Uh, a lot of guys are very capable of that. It's just, it, it's a little different coming from a guy who played the game. You, right. I think you need that perspective on yeah, a sports well, radio station. My yeah. favorite part of listening to you guys was when you would put those guys who haven't played the game in their place. <laughs> you would let them talk and let them shoot off their mouth and let them spew their theories. And then you'd go, all right, hang on. <laughs> But let them know. And, and there were times I did that, but I, I never had the aloofness about no. me. Like, I played the no, game, no, no. and no, you no, didn't. No, 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 no. I never came Never came across that way. It was, yeah. just, it was fun to listen to. How do you feel about it? Were, are you, were you ready to step away? In, no, I wasn't. No, was I, a medical exemption on the table at all, yeah, Chris? Yeah, it was. Yeah? Medical exemption was on there. And, 
you know, I was not ready to step. I, quite frankly, I need the money. I need a job. Um, 64 years old. Yes, I'm vaccinated. But, um, you know, yeah, I'm giving up my, my career, my yeah. livelihood. Yeah. So um, from that standpoint, it wasn't an easy decision. But it was really easy from a health standpoint. Right. And, um, you know, I, I researched this inside and out. Um, I was ready almost to get vaccinated. And my girlfriend, Jamie, said to me, listen, hang on a second. Look into this a little more. Let's right. let's. And I started to research it. And, you know, I didn't listen to just CBS, NBC or Fauci and this one and that one. I researched and you spoke you know, to doctors too yeah and i spoke to doctors and you know people that they're calling quacks they were calling quacks a year ago now aren't so quacky right and um i i made that decision based purely on my health and i i was never it was never reinforced more to me that i made this decision and it was the right one for me when i was back in boston at my father's funeral a very good friend of mine actually my best friend, um, we were talking about being vaccinated, and why wasn't I? And I told him my condition. He has the same condition, and he was vaccinated. Well, last week, he had a massive heart attack oh, called an aortic dissection where he had clotting in his main artery going to his heart. It tore away from his heart. And he's fighting for his life. Jeez. He's been unconscious for a week, tubes oh, on God. his throat. And I talked to his wife last night, and um, she said, I, you know, I spoke to him on the phone into his ear, and she, um, you know, she says they don't think he's going to make it. So oh, God. when this happened, again, it's crazy how it happened. I, I, you know, all this stuff was coming down, and then all of a sudden <laughs> – this happens to Larry, and I'm going, you know, yeah, this is what I worried about. Now, I'm not going to say, oh, this was the vaccine's fault, but, boy, that's one of the issues with this thing, and it's one of the main reasons I, I won't put it in my body. You know, it's funny. When you think about hockey players, Chris, you know, I th or even, you know, people who are in the public eye, you know, whenever we see pictures of you, we see pictures of you with, you know, the number 32 on your back or, you know, a picture of you in a Ranger uniform. 32? Yeah, who's that? You're thinking Mario Robert, I was going to say. That is a pumpkin head. Okay? Claude Lemieux, pumpkin head. Oh, my God, what a mistake. Okay, the number 30 on your back. And... um and and you're you you know we we think of of hockey players as eternally youthful, and we forget you're you're a 64 year old man has to think about those things. Yeah, I do, and yeah. and and yeah, and I got to think about my livelihood. Like I say, who's going to hire a 64 year old, unvaccinated, <laughs> beat up athlete? So yeah, I, and again, I'm comfortable with my decision, and I love where my life is. I finally got my life turned around. Um, through uh, getting sober, and um, you know, it, my life has never been better. I've never been more comfortable um, in sobriety than the last, uh, you know, five years or so. And my all my relationships in life have gotten better. My main one with the woman I love and my best friend. And no offense to my first wife, she was a wonderful woman, uh, and she was a very good friend. But 
you know, I wasn't, I wasn't treating it that way because of what I was doing in my life. And I've, I've, I've changed in a lot of ways for the better. So, yeah. We live in a time where uh, everybody's got an opinion and everybody's got a platform to express their opinion. And you're a public figure. What was the reaction? Uh, not only, I guess, on, on, on social media or fan reaction, public reaction to your decision. What was that? And what was the reaction of friends and family? And uh, how has it been to deal with all of that uh, feed, feedback slash blowback? Um, a lot of positivity. And, you know, I don't, Jamie read a lot of it to me. I don't like getting on there and just reading every comment and then even the good stuff, honestly. And she, she would read them to me. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. And she said, quite frankly, about 99 and a half percent of them were uh, supportive. Great. Yeah. Which was awesome. Yeah. But you know, I look at even the negative ones. I mean, people have their point of view. And what <laughs> really bothers me, I, I, to, to an extent, I mean, I, it doesn't ruin my day, but, you know, I can certainly see why people want to take it. A lot of people were put in fear. There was a lot of unknowns with the vaccine. And there's a lot of unknowns um, what it can do to us in our bodies, our own natural immune system. I had COVID. So I have natural immunity, which is already proven to be 37% better than the shot, the booster, and the whole shebang. Um, and, and what bugged me is people call me selfish. Like, they, they, I have a hard time believing when people went and got vaccinated that they did this for their neighbor, <laughs> quite frankly, or yeah. anybody else. Yeah. They did it for themselves, yeah. a selfish reason, yeah, for me. But some people say, oh, I did it for this one and that. Come on. You did it for yourself. And I'm doing the same thing for myself. I'm making that the best decision for myself. Now, when you talk about the selfish part, to call someone selfish, when you look at my history of protecting my teammates, um, and not to blow my own horn, but all the work I've done over the years for other people, for the hospital, for kids, which I still do today. So for people to say I don't care about other people, it's total ignorance. And, uh, again, I, I, I believe if people wanted to take it and I understand their position that it may help them, that's fine. But to judge other people for why they didn't take it, um, I just I doesn't cut the mustard with me. My selfish reason was path of least resistance. That's mm-hmm. why yeah, I took and it. I, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, I just and for I, me, I, I want to be able to live my life. I don't yeah, want to have to, you know, oh, right. I can't go there. I can't do this. I can't do that. So that's selfish too. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah, it's yeah, just a different kind of selfishness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can it, go to Costco now. Though. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's crazy, right? How, how stupid it is. Yeah, that you can go to Costco the whole pandemic. And then, like, really, what are their motives? Like, it's punishment. It's you get vaccinated or you can't go buy, uh, you know, uh, Toilet 100, paper. 100, <laughs> ounce, 100 ounces of um, soap or whatever. Yeah, it, right. You know, so. So um, what you're now working on to move past that and put that behind you um, you're going to look into podcasting. You're you're going to launch a podcast, are you? Yeah, I'm looking at doing it. We're kind of getting our ducks in a row now. I, uh, you know, we've interviewed 
a few people. I'm working with a guy out of Pittsburgh who produced The Last Gladiators, the documentary on Pot My Life and a few other guys. It was about fighting and hockey. And uh, it was done by Alex Gibney and Barry Reese. And Barry, Such a good movie. Yeah. If you're a hockey fan, I'm sure uh, you've already seen it. But even if you're not a hockey fan, you should watch it. Yeah. Well, Barry um, was the executive producer, um, reached out. He couldn't get in touch with me. He talked to so many guys, fighters. Guys wanted to get paid. Guys, you know, uh, they, <laughs> they, they wanted a lot instead of just doing it. And I, when he called, he got in touch with my daughter on Facebook. He reached out to me. I had just gotten out of uh, rehab out in Oregon, and we talked. Uh, he asked me some probing questions. Uh, I got to meet him. Uh, he said Gibney was involved. I researched it a bit. And I had nothing else going at the time, and I'm there. Why not? It'll. It was actually an extension of my therapy in a sense because I was talking a lot about where where I had been, how I got there, and you know what I was doing now. So it really, <laughs> it was actually good for me. It was it was refreshing. It was, um, you know, it, it, it was liberating in, in a lot of ways, and um, I had fun doing it. But Barry, um, when this came up about the possibility of me losing my job at TSN. Um, he said, listen, do you ever think of a podcast? And I said, yeah, everybody and their brother's doing them, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I, I, I like to do it. And boy, when I got let go, uh, he, he reached out to me and we talked, we started researching. Uh, he has his own production company down there. He does a lot of documentary films. He does a lot of promotional videos for uh, college recruiting, Penn State, uh, you know, all these colleges and stuff. So, and he loves it. He's, he retired. He sold his company, and it's something he enjoys doing. Uh, and he really has jumped in to this thing in a big way and given me support, quite frankly, when um, – and you know what this is like, Ted, a lot of times, you know, the situation I was in when I first got my life together and turn around, there's not a lot of people with a handout saying, hey, Knuckles, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll want to come? We'll help you out here. We'll, and I, believe me, I totally understand that. You know, people lose trust. They lose faith in you. I get it. I have one person, one person that really reached out and wanted to help me, and that was Mitch. Yeah. And, and now I'm in the kind of same situation again, you know, 10 years later. And um, Barry Reese stepped up to the plate in a big way. And really, you know, poor Jamie, you know, when I got let go, she said, we got to sell the car. We got to, how are we going to get around? We sell the car. You know, we're in Montreal, three feet of snow. Yeah. I felt so bad for her. But yeah. I said, listen, we knew this was a possibility. Now it's time to deal with it. We got to deal with it. It's life. What, what happens to somebody said to me? Oh, the the old players don't have to worry; they have a pension. Not everybody has a pension, eh? A pension, a pension. A <laughs> uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's not a lot of money. No, so no. you know, uh, listen, my pension's better than Gordy Howe's was. But yeah, yeah, but it's, that it's not. Yeah. It's, it's not like you can live off of that. One um, of the things that I've I've always admired you so much for Chris is you were always very candid about your journey your struggle yep very very candid did, did that come right away or did that come with time 
Well, it took me a little bit of time, but I'll be quite honest with you, like I always am. And one thing brought up in my household that was touted and expected of every member of that household was to be honest. Don't lie. And my dad was so big on that. And quite frankly, um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I've never lied in my life, but um, I'm not afraid to, when I've, I've done the wrong thing I'm, uh, and I've made my mistakes in life, I'm not afraid to take f- full credit for that. And, um, and I've always prided myself in being open and honest. And I have been throughout my life um, very upfront and, and, you know, to, to me, there's no other way to be. I think especially life is all about relationships, relationships with the mailman, your dog, your wife, your, your kids, it's your boss, your coworkers. It's all relationships. And, you know, the, the number one, the number one um, thing that helps relationships be successful is trust and honesty. And you get that trust by being open and honest. And I've always been that way. So I, you know, yeah, certainly had my my times when I was um, in my, you know, the height of my addiction. Um, But uh, I was living with that shame and guilt, which, you know, kind of kept me in my addiction in a lot of ways. Um, And once I was relieved of that... um, yeah, it was it was liberating. And I don't have a problem talking about it. Listen, I didn't have a problem with people seeing me in the bar, like, getting half in the rap and telling someone to go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so why would I, you know, really... Was, did you get any pushback from players? Because, you know, some of the stories that, I, that, <clears throat> that you wrote that I read or you mm-hmm. told on film, you know, cre- you know, sort of tore back the curtain about... You know, especially like in New York, right when the game was over, and then Broadway beckoned, and you know, there, there did did any of the players? Did, was there any pushback from other guys saying, "Ah, Chris, don't tell them"? Not stuff. at all. Okay, yeah, yeah, not at all. Because first of all, I only talked about myself. I never yeah. talked about other guys and what they did. It's no one's business. Uh, and you know, I, you know, I, geez, what I did when I was playing hockey, child's play, compared to what. I was doing when I retired and I was in the depths of my addiction. It's not, those guys had no part of that. They weren't around that. They didn't see that. Yeah. And I'm glad they didn't see it. Right. I mean, a lot of people saw it. I mean, I was walking around and I wasn't in a good way. I always thought I was. I'm like, people would look at me and say, geez, you kept in pretty good shape. Yeah. Go to the gym. and Yeah. I wasn't going to gym. (laughs) I was all sucked up from taking opiates and they sucked every nutrient and every good thing in my body out of it it's it should be said i think that you know chris says that he's open about about sobriety and, and his recovery and and his struggles but he's not preachy about it no and i think that's really important and and i've been down i've been down that road myself i'm 25 years uh in alcoholics anonymous and i've always been uh, I've always been a big believer in the in the anonymity aspect of the program. I mean, I'm breaking my own anonymity right here, but I mean, I figure at 25 years, 
if I wake up in a Laotian brothel after a three-day blackout, that's on me. (laughs) (laughs) I know better by now, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the thing about anonymity to me is, Chris, and I don't know how Uh you look at it, and it's tough if you're a public figure, Uh and I'm a public-ish figure. Uh You're a public figure. Uh You were a a National Hockey League player. the thing about anonymity to me is that uh, what's why I think it's important is A, it fosters humility, mm. and B, it protects the program. And I know mm. this from firsthand experience. My first time around in AA, I'd tell anyone who listened, mm. I'm in AA, look at me. Mm. I go to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. I don't mm. drink anymore because I'm in AA. Yeah. Guess what? I drank again. And what does that do to AA? That makes people who don't know any better go, that fucking idiot was an AA and look at him. So I think that's why anonymity is important. And Chris... Chris knows how, as a public figure, to 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 walk that line and to protect uh, and to protect the program, as opposed to people. <laughs> and you see this all the time now with social media. Yeah. Someone will have their six month AA chip, and they'll yeah. be on Facebook. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 and then you know, six months later, they're on Facebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's well, a, it's it, a, it's an accomplishment, though, isn't it? Do you look uh, at it as an accomplishment? I l- look at it. Like I've um, changed my life. Yeah, that's an and, accomplishment. And, and really, it's it's attraction, not promotion, right? And Ted knows that as well as anybody. Um, you know, I um, yeah, I walked that fine line. And, and when I say that with the anonymity, it drove me away from the program when I first started. You know, um, I would be I was home in Boston when I living there when I first tried to um get sober and you know it's more than stopping drinking you know it's anybody well not anybody can stop drinking but you can stop drinking and not be a happy person and you could even be unhappier in some ways because you're a dry drunk and you're just they call it white knuckling that's no fun and i was uh, i understood in an intellectual way what i had to do but again it's your actions and you got to get into action to be successful. I, I know I do. And um, when I when I first got in and I would go to meetings, um, I'd be somewhere maybe the following day, and someone would say, hey, my buddy Joe saw you last night down in uh, St. Patrick's. And, and it really rubbed me the wrong way. And, again, it's it really helped me. Um, in a lot of ways, but you know, it's not perfect either. Nothing's perfect. And, but it's surely been a, um, a great tool to help me change my life. And I have, and there's a lot of people who have helped me over the years. And like I said, people that attracted me in the way they live their life and, and, you know, they, they walk the talk. They don't just Eh, talk uh, you can you can see it and when you see the results it it and you can hear people in in the message they send certain people um it it really helps it really helps and it helped me change in a lot of ways i you know i had some anger issues obviously from things uh, some different issues with some of the things that happened to me growing up that i had to address understand make real and 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 get through them not get over them not get past them get 
through them. And you hear some people say they have to, you have to do the work. Well, there's, there's pain in doing that work. And, um, but boy, it's, it's liberating when you get, um, through it. Um, for sure. And it's never ending. Never I mean, ending. He, he, Chris mentioned attraction rather than promotion. Another important element is progress, not perfection. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I hear guys in meetings say that they're a recovered alcoholic. My name's whoever, and I'm a recovered mm. alcoholic. And I think to myself, well, I'm not. Yeah. And if I ever am, I'm in trouble. I-N-G. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. Recovering. Yeah. Um, I want to turn to hockey for a little bit. And, and I'm, I've always wanted to ask uh, somebody in your position this question you know i often will look at old films on youtube or a, a particular game or you know you'll see like classic pictures of gordy howe and jean beliveau in front of the net at the montreal forum mm -hmm. and i wondered as a as a player do you look back if, if have you ever have you ever been on YouTube and saw something and watched it a bit? Do you, do you reflect, or is is that just the past? If it comes up on a, someone tweets something out, I look at it and I go, okay, but I don't go and look at it, like my no. old fights and stuff like that. Um, a few times I've seen people have posted the penalty shot against Winnipeg. Right. I look at that and yeah, it's cool. It's like, you yeah. know, show my grandkids and stuff like that. But no, the the, the, the closest. I've come to that, and I never put my stuff up in my house, any memorabilia I had, none of that. I just never did. I had a replica Stanley Cup that I, I kept. That was it because that was a team accomplishment, and I thought it was so cool just to have that. And, you know, I always kept pictures in my car, in my trunk, and Bobby Ord, you know, taught me that. I was at a game in Boston in retirement. And we were in a box together, and, you know, the guy who got me into hockey also taught me another thing. And I, uh, there was a little kid in there, can I get your autograph? And I'm there, sure. He gave me a little piece of paper, and I signed it, and Bobby grabbed me. And he said, hey, go back there and tell that kid to write his full name and address down and send him a picture. He said, did you ever, do you ever see a, 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 a framed piece of paper in some kid's room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you bastard. You got me. And he taught me that. Wow. So I always keep them. And last night, someone, I was out for dinner, and someone asked me if I could have an autograph for their little brother. And I'm there, sure, just write the name down. And I always get home, I sign it, send it out. It takes two minutes. It's, yes. And it's a, a good touch. And I, I, I remember being a kid, I, that's... I wanted Bobby Orr's autograph, and, you know, yeah. it's like I never got close enough to him. I Boy, have it now, though. That <laughs> tells you something about how humble that guy is. Yeah. Eh? Oh, yeah, he's, he's he's, yeah, he's just one of the nicest people on the planet and certainly one of the nicest Don't people. Don't mess with him in the business world, though. No. Oh, yeah? Oh, is that right, eh? <laughs> He's a big, bad Bruin. <laughs> is that right, Oh. <laughs> All the niceness is gone. Yeah, Isn't yeah. that interesting? Yeah. Wow. Is yeah. Hey? yeah. There's no one, not a lot of people get to <laughs> experience that, and you wouldn't want to. Yeah. Um, did you ever, I've always wondered this too, you ever have a moment when you were playing, like when you first start, I always wondered if players sometimes were sitting on the bench with their stick between their legs, watching the play go back and forth, and had a moment where you go, Jesus Christ! I'm in the NHL. Like, did that ha does that happen, 
or you just work so hard to get there. You, it's you. You don't take a moment to do that. Mm, yeah, I think early on I might. I like. I'd be at the forum. I'm like, I can't believe this. You know, Lafleur is just coming off the ice. I'm like, yeah, is a bastard who caused so much pain in my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a Boston kid. Yeah, yeah. Boston yeah. kid, and you know, up until I came here, I was still. I got drafted in '78. <laughs> And I was still pulling for the Bruins, 78-79, the fourth Stanley Cup. You know, Lafleur scored 4-3, to three, ties the game on Gilles Jobia, couldn't stop a beach ball, <laughs> bastard. And, and then Lambia scores in overtime. It's like, so, yeah, there were times, you know, I'm like I, I had to pinch myself. And, you know, sometimes after practice. Yeah. I, and I remember, here's one specific time, um, it's probably – Right, yeah, into my second year, and we were after practice, and I came in the locker room, and we were joking and laughing, and Larry Robinson, uh, he sat over to the left of me, and he looked at me, and he walked over. I was just undoing my skates, and we got over something, a laugh or something, and he looked down at me, and he said, yeah, I'm looking up, there he is, the big bird, and he said, you're having fun, aren't you? And I said, I can't believe it, I just... I love it. I love it. It's everything I, I dreamed of. It's I, everything I wanted as far as hockey. And he said, well, he said, enjoy it because it's going to go like that. And I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? It's gonna... and, and, and I'm looking at him. I, I mean, Christ, I was 21 yeah. or so, 22. He was like 29. Yeah. I'm like, you know, he was an old man. Yeah, and he played it, what, another 10 years or so? Like, I'm like, yeah. So, yeah, those times and, you know, yeah, like not a whole lot, I guess, during the game. Yeah, really. You know, I was too busy looking at the hot chicks in the second (laughs) row along with everybody else. No. (laughs) Just in warm-up. You ever have a hot dog between periods? Uh, Never. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Never. <laughs> I got to take a minute and uh, say thanks to the folks from the UPS store. Uh, David Drucker and uh, is a longtime friend of ours and uh, called me and we talked about the podcast and he said, I really enjoy it. I would love to be part of it. Can you tell people about the UPS store? And I said, I sure can because I'm a fan and a customer of UPS stores. They are all across the land in all... Th- just about every community that you can think of. They're franchised, so they're run by somebody who lives in your community who can handle anything that has to do with shipping, business. Uh, They can shred documents. They can send faxes. They can pack your stuff. They can ship your stuff. It's all a one-stop shop. If you need paper, if you need supplies, if you need copies, if you run a small business and you have to do shipping, The UPS store is where you want to do all of that right across the country from coast to coast to coast. And it really is a one-stop shop. I've used them for everything from, you know, sending uh, sweaters and T-shirts to friends to uh, shipping dishes across the country when we moved to British Columbia. Highly recommend. With so many people working from home these days, it's their time to shine, too. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Um, and they're easy to find, the upsstore.ca. Chris, I'm trying to remember what your draft position was, and for some reason, 231 
Is that, exactly. Have I got that? Exactly. I, I swear to God, wow. I swear to God, I did not look that up. I'm just sitting here and thinking, I've read somewhere that he was drafted 231st overall. Yeah. And when you came in, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but here's how I remember it. You came into the league and you were in, an enforcer. That was your job. You were... And and you let me finish before you yep, correct me, yep, <laughs> but you you your career evolved to the point where, by the time you won a Stanley Cup in 1976, you were on a line with two future Hall of Famers, yeah. Guy Carboneau and Bob Gainey. Mm-hmm. So, what was the evolution from being 231st overall to being uh, on a Stanley Cup winning team on the same line as two future Hall of Famers? Well, the evolution was I didn't come in as a fighter, right? I I came in as uh, college hockey player. I played aggressive. I, I, my model for how to play hockey was exhibited by Harry Sinden's Boston Bruins, the big bad Bruins. Um, I loved O'Reilly. I loved all the tough guys. I loved the way they, you know, I, I just loved the way they played the game. And that's what I learned. That I learned that from them. Now, when I played college hockey and I ended up getting drafted and I left and I came here to training camp. I was just like, I was lost a little bit. And, um, I ended up going to Halifax and I went to Halifax and I had a five game tryout for $200 a game. I didn't play the first three games. My first game I played was Philadelphia's farm team in Maine. My whole family came, everybody come and, the first shift I got out on the ice, I ran into a guy named Glenn Cochran. He's like 6'4", 230. Played for the Flyers yeah, later, didn't he? Flyer. Yeah. yeah, tough kid. And I hit him, and he slashed me. We end up fighting. Anyway, I hit him with a punch and cut him open really good. Leading. We get kicked out of the game. My father's pissed off, you know. <laughs> you know, I come all the way up here. The family spend all this money on tickets. I'm like, hello. That happened, by the way, probably about hot fit everywhere when I finally got called up. And, you know, he'd come in down afterwards and say, what the? And like, hey, if you don't know by now, you're taking a huge risk when you come to see me play. This is what pro hockey is. But I had a contract the next day. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I didn't yeah. have it the next day. I was called by the general manager. Yeah. Bert Templeton, who was also the coach in Halifax, and he said, hey, do you have an agent? I said, no, I don't have an agent. I didn't have an agent. And you think that's why, because of no, that fight? No. I, well, that's why. I, certainly, that's why they signed me. Okay. Oh, yeah. As soon as I beat him, because Philly, uh, Maine, the year before, kicked the living shit out of the Vs the year okay. before in the playoffs. They spooked the shit out of them. They beat them four straight, beat them up, sent them home. Ran them so, right out of the rink. Yeah. Yeah. They had a small team and not a lot of tough guys. And they made a concentrated effort to draft some tough guys. And me, I was drafted as a favor by Dickie Moore. Um, was um, a good friend of a friend, my coach down in Boston as a kid, Judge King, Paul King. They were very good friends. Judge King asked Dickie to do him a favor and just draft me. That's why I was drafted 231. It's not like they found me. Right. Judge King asked Dickie if, and Doug Harvey, if they, and Doug was scouting at the time, if they would do him a favor and just draft me. That's it. So anyway, long story short, signed the contract. I come up here. I had tremendous <clears throat> support from Claude Rell, helped me immensely in the 
just all the little things, all the fundamentals of the game, skating, shooting, passing, working on it every day, repetition being the key to retention and just doing it every day and doing it. And then LeMaire came and, um, you know, he, he told me to fight too much, don't fight as much. And I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. When I saw guys slow down in the fight game, they're, they're out the door. And he worked with me on agility. Um, he worked, what he did is he refined it. He put me in positions and had me work on things that translate into success on the ice during the game. Um, he used to put me down in front of the net and I have to take a hundred pucks, put them upstairs on my backhand, forehand. Um, then he'd take me in the, and he would explain it to me. He said, the reason why we're doing this is because in the game, you're going to be in front of this net, and when there's rebounds, you're going to get that puck. The goalie's going to be down. You're going to have to get it up over him and really quick. So I want it to be a reflex action. You don't have to think about it. You grab the puck, you do it. Um, he'd take me in the center face-off circle, and he would put the puck in certain areas, and I had to move to it. So he worked on my crossovers, my agility <clears throat> in reacting to where the puck is going. He did all those things, which helped me in a big way. And, you know, I often say this. I feel indebted to the Canadians because they helped to turn me into a, a, a guy who could play the game and, and, and be out there, you know, in any situation. You know, except for maybe killing penalties because I was always in the penalty box. But, <laughs> <laughs> and to me, that was the, my biggest achievement in – and they helped me do that. They didn't want me. I often look back and I'd say, you know, what if I came up with Boston? Or what if I came up with Hartford? Or one of these other teams? It, they might have been just happy with me being a fighter. You know, because they had, that's what they wanted from certain guys. Where the Canadians, no, they, they wanted me to play hockey too. What do and, you think, what was it LeMaire saw? That he that he spent all that time with you. I mean, he clearly well, he saw, he saw I something. Some talent. Yeah, he saw and, something. And he always in uh, the drive that I had, and he just knew. Like he told me that time, he told me you fight too much, and I never forget it. I was in the night he told me, and I, I you know, one night in Quebec City, we, uh, we I scored two goals. I remember after the second goal, he come on the bench. He said, "Don't forget where you came from." <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. You told me, you know. So then it turned into like I was fighting like every night. We were down at Philly, Boston. I was fighting, and and we were going to play the Islanders. <clears throat> we played the Rangers, and I fought Barry Beck that night. And he had a cast on his hand, like a splint. After Barry Beck, he was and a he fucking giant. Me. Yeah, and he and he he caught me on the eye and cut me a little bit, and I had like a cast burn, you know on my face and so after the game uh Jacques said to me listen you're not playing tomorrow night we're playing the Islanders and I'm like what I, I want to no you fight too too much I told you you got to slow down you know you you have people out there scared on you 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 have to use the ice that you have people won't go near you use that ice to score goal use that ice to make plays and he said, you got to slow down the fight. And I'm like, fuck, I just, I almost didn't trust him. With it. And I absolutely love the guy. I freaking love him. And so he said, you're not going to play. And I said, two nights later, what? I, I said, fuck, I want to play. I don't want to not play. I, I won't fight. 
if you don't want me. I won't fight tomorrow night. That's it. I'll, and he said, no, you're not playing. So they called up Dave Allison from uh, Nova Scotia. And I got to, I was pissed off. So what I do when I was pissed off, I went out and I got shit-based. <laughs> okay? I'm like, you ain't playing me. I'm going to go get wallow in my beer. And I did. And sure enough, get up the next day to pregame skate. I'm like, ah, oh, I feel terrible. And, uh, apparently there was something with the timing of Allison getting called up. He couldn't play. And I had to play. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> But I got through the game. I felt like crap. And, you know, anyway, yeah, like that, I worked at it. And I had, like I said, I had good good direction from really accomplished Hall of Fame people that, you know, it was, it was awesome. And, you know, I love, there's nothing like scoring a goal in the National Hockey League. And people always think, oh, the fight must be awesome. What a fight. You know, I, I honestly, I loved fighting. Yeah. People often say, oh, I, who loves fighting? I loved fighting. I loved sticking up for my team. Yeah. Listen, was I scared before I went on games? Yeah, there was fear, no question about it. Um, but I think I was more in fear of losing a fight than, like, the fight itself. I'm just, like, I don't want to lose this. And um, to that, you know, whatever happened, happened, and, you know, I, I, come on, I never really got hurt that bad in a fight. A couple bumps and bruises. But whatever. what's it feel like the next day? Oh, it hurts. It, it, yeah, like my your, knuckles your were knuckles always messed up. And, 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 like and where, still where you, you know, where Beck makes contact. Yeah, bumps. And, yeah. You know, some on the back of your head and stuff like that. But it's, you know, you, you deal with it. Okay. I never really got knocked out. No. I got knocked Silly would have hit once my first year in Minnesota. Fred Barrett hit me with a shoulder in the jaw, and I was yeah. like seeing the Tweety Birds. That was the only time. In a fight, you know, I got dinged a couple of times, but not bad. Nothing that knocked me silly. And I had to fight smart, you know. Most of the guys were way bigger than me, and, you know, I, I remember I fought Jonathan in O'Reilly, first game against the Bruins at the Forum. And the second fight was against... O'Reilly. Oh, Christ. And we took a face off. Doug Jarvis got kicked out. I went in. O'Reilly went in. I beat him on the face off. Then he chopped me, and I chopped him back. We dropped our gloves, and I knew he was a lefty, and I went, oh, I threw two. Just as the second one's coming, here comes the left. <laughs> and oh, Christ. immediately... The, my eyes watered, and the blood just started pouring out of my head, my nose. And um, I was trying to gather myself. I didn't go down. I stayed on my feet. And, and then D'Amico came in, and they, they broke it up. And I got to the penalty box, and O'Reilly's going, you know, give me the business. I'm like, my, and boy, was I wounded. I was a wounded animal. And <laughs> I sat there, and I said to myself, and I made my decision up that night. It's crazy. I'll never, ever forget this moment because it's one of those really defining moments in my life. I said, I can never, ever let that happen again. I have to start to use my head. Anybody can stand there and swing like crazy. But... What I did from that point on, I always focused on taking the other. When I went into a fight, especially with a bigger guy than me, 
longer arms, tall or whatever. I always focused on taking their strength away first. So if I knew a guy was a righty, I'm taking it away right away. Well, and then I'm going to pick my way through the fight from there. Right. I'll fight the way I want to fight, not right. the way they want me to fight. Right. And that served me so well um, during my career. And I, I, quite frankly, I, I didn't get hurt a whole lot. And there were times I, I really opened up or someone would come back and they're really good with both hands that I could deal with it. But if I fought that wide open style all the time, Question of time, you're going to break your eye socket, your jaw, lose your teeth, whatever. And that shakes guys' confidence. And that's tough to come back from. And also shakes the confidence of your teammates. Right. Yeah. He's losing it. Yeah. So if you stand up and fight the guy, a lot of times I fought, you know, I might not have won the fight. The other guy might have got the edge, but I didn't look like I got my ass kicked. Right. So you show up, and that, that has an effect on your teammates. It does. I refereed the game for years and years and years <laughs> at different levels, not obviously the NHL level, but it's, you know, some you know, junior levels and, you know, fast AAA levels. And as an official, I always believed we had to have fighting in the game because it was a release valve. When a game, as an official, you can feel, you know, you can only control so much. You can call a couple of penalties to trying to damper things down, but there are some games where you just know a fight is coming and the fight happens and the pressure comes down. I always thought that that was a part of the game. Now they're talking about taking it out of the game. Do you think it should be taken out of the game? Yeah, yeah, listen, I think they'll always keep it in, and maybe they should just as an outlet for two guys that get so pissed at each other <laughs> that they don't swing their sticks and hit each other right. over the head. Like, you want to drop them, go ahead. You've had enough. As far as a, 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 a tool to use to spook the other team, stuff like that, that's gone. I think it's, you know, people used to think it was stupid we fight and hit helmets. I mean, now yeah. they get the visors, it's like... They don't let them take – and most guys will probably take them off if they let them, but you get penalized right. now. So they're making it more difficult. Could the game do without it? I, I Honestly, I, when I see a fight, I don't mind it. Yep. But then I don't even care if I see a fight. I, I like to see a good hockey game yep. too. And, like, you know, nowadays things have changed a point. I mean, I was having dinner last night, uh, and um, <clears throat> the owner of the restaurant took me down to see a few uh, current players. That were they having dinner. There mm-hmm. was four of them, but there were seven guys at the table. And um, Joe says to him, he says, well, these three new guys from Laval? I said, no, no, those, they're three guys from the St. Louis Blues. They're friggin' having dinner Christ. together the night before a game. Would that have been unheard of in so, your day? Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. And, I, and one of them says to me, ooh, we got caught by the wrong guy. <laughs> 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 and I'm there, oh, whatever. Well, the stories. And, and I proceeded to tell him the story about the time I had a fight at Thursdays with Dave Lumley. And I, I hit him with a shot. The night before a game, I was with Mark Hunter. He, we stopped by. He wanted to say hi to his brother real quick, Dave right. Hunter. Right. We walk in. I'm standing there, and I'm standing there like, you know, kind of the third wheel. I don't want to talk to anybody. I didn't even want to go in. Hunt said, ah, don't worry, don't worry. And he's talking to his brother, and I'm standing there. I just gave the nod, you know. And Dave Lumley, who was a roommate of my roommate in Halifax, came up behind me, and he had a beer, and he poured a little couple drops oh, in my oh. head. And he, oh. he turned around, and he's there. And I, boom! I hit him with a shot, jumped on him, and then all the bounces jump in. And 
None of his teammates. Oh, he was a smart ass. Anyway, the next day, big surge. Uh, hey, what is going on with you? Uh, big boy, uh, you're fighting at the bar the night before a game? And I'm like, well, here's the story. And I told him the story. He said, oh, okay, no problem. Because uh, I, I read that in the days of, uh, like, Ferguson, if Ferguson was going out for dinner... And he walked in and saw the Leafs in the restaurant. He's like, we're out of here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, was, that, yeah, we would do the same thing back yeah. in that day. We wouldn't go in the same place Yeah, have dinner. If the guys were in there, we'd be like, oh, okay, see you later. When uh, do you think that changed and why? Um, I just, you know, social media. <laughs> <laughs> Blame it on social media. Good one. Yeah, 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 yeah good one. Sweep on next. <laughs> now, now it's like, you know, like they say, Back in our day, it was like, do it. Just do it. Here's yeah. what I expect of you. You know, do it. This isn't a developmental league. Mm. And the NHL isn't really today either. Yeah. But these kids today, you got to show them. You got to, you know, you got to. You gotta change their diaper. You gotta powder their bum. And you can't uh, yell at yeah. them. This, oh my this, god! Yeah. This 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 oh. drives me nuts because oh. there's a whole movement in minor hockey, and and you know like and and. Triple A hockey, like yeah. hockey that where yeah. guys are trying to get to the NHL. Oh, don't don't yell at them. Yeah. Don't 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 hurt their feelings. <laughs> yeah, we what? do a, a kids a disservice. Yeah, I think, I, and I the, think so too. The, and the bubble wrap. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. The helicopter parenting. I I just again, I'm um, not being the perfect parent here, but it's just like crazy how much. You protect the kids and you end up hurting them, I think. Yeah. Um, in terms of, you mentioned John D'Amico. Um, I'm, I'm curious about your relationship with the officials. Because, you you know, especially when there were fewer teams in the league, you see a lot of the same guys all the time. Mm. And back then, to me, it seems that there were, there were less officials and they were in the league longer. Mm. D'Amico, Armstrong. Leon guys, Stickle. Leon Stickle, yeah. those guys. Did you, what kind of relationship did you have with the refs? And um, did it make a difference who was breaking up the fight? Like D'Amico, nah. D'Amico wasn't a big guy. Yeah, but no, he was, he was wily. Yeah, he was. No, he was. He was thick. You know. Oh, he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, listen, the linesmen were different than the referees. I yeah. hated the referees. I loved the linesmen. Yeah. Right? It's like yeah. most of the guys like them, um, but. You know, Wayne Barney was unbelievable with me. D'Amico, they all were. Yeah. Like, they were good. They get in at, and you, there were times they helped you. They yeah. protected you. Right. You know, because some guys, when, okay, it's time to break it up, some guy would just keep going like crazy yeah. and never stop. And they were good at that. But referees, I yeah. hated Kerry Frazier. I just hated <laughs> but him. But you, you became friends. Yeah, you guys are friends yeah. now, yeah. aren't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> it was one of my favorite yeah. bits on TSN yeah. was when Kerry was on with you. Yeah. Because you, know, you guys, you really, the both of you give each other the gears. So you, you can tell there's a mutual respect uh, there. I, yeah, it seems, it's funny. Like, he has a, such a great referee and people don't. Some people, I, I guess he just rubs the wrong way. The league, you know, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely, and, he and should they, be. He was a great official. Yeah, I, because they don't like him for whatever. What's yeah. the reason why? Because he's outspoken about yeah, he's some outspoken. of the things. Like, and he's not a, and, and, and not a company a man. Not a yeah, company man. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, you know? yeah it really like, is. You can hate him still. Yeah. You know, I, I get along with Kerry. Um, you know, so I had a pretty good re Bruce Hood, 
I didn't get along with so much. God rest his soul. He was a great official. He hated me because he blamed. Well, not hate him. Yeah, he did hate me. He wrote <laughs> apparently wrote in his book that I saw that whole Quebec brawl when it was really Dale Hunter punching Cabano in the head. Like, what am I? What am I going to do? Go in the locker room? Yeah, it's over. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm on the ice. You know, and he said I it's, it was all me, and I say it was all him because yeah. you know he let let that stuff go. You know. Yeah. Um, I got to take a break to say thanks to our friends at Matlau Bonner. Ted, would you like a little lie down? I or would, would actually, like yes. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to have a little snooze. Um, Matlau Bonner is a, another family run business, and I like to tell the story of Norm and his uh, family uh, delivering mattresses in a truck and starting the business in a small store uh, in St. Genevieve. That small store, by the way, is still there. And you can go see where the, the organization got started over 30 years ago. And they're dedicated to a better night's sleep, sleep technology, everything in the stores. The stores are designed around a better night's sleep. So nothing in the stores but mattresses, pillows, linens, things that will help you uh, get a good night's sleep. Whether you're looking for a futon or you're looking for um, one of the jump bed mattresses that you can now order online, or you, you want to change your mattress. You know, the kids have left and you want a really, really nice mattress. Um, they'll ask you a couple of questions. They'll welcome you warmly and they won't pressure you. They'll leave you alone to do your shopping and make your own decision with their help. It's, it's a really, really nice shopping experience. The kind of shopping experiences that are getting harder and harder to find. And the locations are not hard to find. There's 18 of them now in the greater Montreal area. You'll be well looked after. I promise you can start by going to their website, matlabunner.ca. I think sleep technologist could be my next chapter, Terry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know a lot about sleep. I was just saying the joy of the podcast is, um, you know, uh, that you can... Well, listen, we never even stood on ceremony when we were on the radio. No, we so. didn't. I, I was yeah. often in the hallway on the radio. <laughs> I, and and um, this this uh, guest, this is a very special guest. This is fun, eh? Yeah. What it's stories? A, it's a special get for us because, yeah. as you probably heard me say when we started, he's very candid. He's very honest. He's very open. And um, I like the fact that we're, we've got a little break so we can, we can uh, like, I've, there's a bunch of things I still want to ask him. Yeah, me too. You know, Jamie ate that whole donut, by the way. Did she really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing's her. bigger than she is. <laughs> we have these gigantic pastries that we got from yeah. Non Solo Panne in yeah. Dorval. Yeah. And uh, Chris's, uh, Chris's better half, Jamie, is here. And I said, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you'll probably only be able to finish about half of that. And I just went out and checked. All gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've been talking for a while. We have, yeah. You know, and, yeah. Uh, and like I said, I, I, there are a few more questions that uh, I want to ask Chris about including uh, uh, I want to ask him about you know Canadians fans the new changes the Tyler Toffoli trade which when we're recording this just has happened I don't know if you saw his goal last night in Calgary I did not know typical Tyler Toffoli goal I, I I don't know why they didn't keep him but yeah him and his wife really took to Montreal yeah they, like they I, were thrilled I, to be here I felt bad for him because you know I know you're not going to have any crying parties for a, a National Hockey League player but they he always said he was really looking forward to the, the, the Bell Center on a Saturday night. You know, the roaring crowds. He the, got it. 
Did he? he? No, no, but I mean, he got the whole CH thing. He understood. Yeah, yeah, he exactly. understood how special it but is to play here. Because of COVID, he never really got yeah, the full the full experience. The full no. experience, no. and I and I felt bad for him because they loved Montreal. His wife was on social media. She they loved being here. Yeah, you still haven't told us about how you ended up on a line with Carboneau and Ganey. Didn't you score thirty goals one season on that line? Twenty. Twenty. Twenty-one. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I got that wrong too then. <laughs> wow, Christ, I got his number wrong for God's sake. <laughs> He's going to leave here going, those two fucking assholes. I'm used to the no respect. Stuff. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, those um, two Hall of Famers had the distinct pleasure of playing <laughs> alongside me. Um, uh, they helped me immensely. Uh, you know, you talk about how, you know, I was able to score those 21 goals, but playing alongside them. Uh, you know, there was a lot of communication between us. Um, we, we became really familiar with each other's tendencies on the ice. Um, we're very, very good checking line. I, and I love what Ken Lindsman told me. He said, honestly, I think it was one of the best, if not the best checking lines ever. Wow. Because of the mix of what you had. You had that sentiment who could make plays, um, who was great in the face-off circle. Uh, he was a great defender. Bob Ganey, being touted as the best hockey player in the world by Tinkinoff, I don't know about that, but Bob was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, body checker, leader, score goals, defend well. And then, you know, I could play the game, but I could fight. I could check. And we had a really good mix that uh, worked well uh, for so many years. I And those guys, like I said, they really – they helped me to mature as a player uh, in a big way. And, um, yeah, communication was a, a big part of that. So, yeah, I, I owe them, like the organization, a debt of gratitude because they, they helped me a whole lot. Was it Lemaire who put that line together? Um, yeah, it was Jacques Lemaire. Yeah. Could, put it together. Is there any way to put into words what it's like to win a Stanley Cup? All Canadian kids see it, watch the cup going over the head and – you know, because the, the post, you know, right after the Stanley Cup is won, the interviews are always the same. I can't believe <laughs> Is there any way to describe what that feels like? Um, yeah, just like a tremendous relief. Mm -hmm. A great um, a feeling of accomplishment that you, you went into, uh, you know, a season and with the, the objective of doing that and then coming together as a group through the, the, the pain, the agony, the, the fun times, all those things together, and you have that common goal as a group, and you're bound together forever because you achieved that as a group. And, I, yeah, that to me is the most incredible feeling when I look back at it. Um, I really had a difficult time the final game. Um, I didn't play. And, you know, today, you know, if you – got called up, the, the, you throw your uniform at the end of the game, you go out there with the cup and get your pictures hanging with it. You know, I had a freaking suit on. I was. I, I didn't I, realize that. Yeah. You didn't play in the yeah. clinching game. I, I did not I re realize that. I tore my ankle, huh. and uh, my ankle was so swollen, I could hardly get it in my boot. But I got in my boot. They numbed me uh, before the warm-up, and 
they watch me in the warm up, and B- Big Surge afterwards come down. They say, eh, "Big boy, uh, can't skate." Then I, say, I mean, I can, f- I'll be fine. You know, I can <laughs> fight. I can, I can do what I gotta do. I'll be there. I can. Nope. You see, you can't play. You can't. I was so, I was devastated. Wow. I was devastated. Yeah. Yeah. Devastated. Now everybody's like, oh, you did, you helped us get there. You did this all season and all through the playoffs. You were such a big pot. But I wasn't on the ice for that. Like, like sweating. Yeah. Jumping over the boards or being on the ice, the final whistle, you know. Instead, I was up in a box with the wives getting shit fit. <laughs> It hurt me. Yeah. Uh, Does uh, it still, or uh, is there no, still an I've, element I've, of regret there? or Just a little bit, but, you know, I've gotten past it. But when I look back, I, you know, and I look at that, geez, I wish I could have been. Yeah, I mean, I've, got, I've gotten through it, but it, it hurt. It hurt for a long time. Well, you know what? Nobody remembers that. I don't no, remember I that. And remember I was covering the team that yeah, year. I, do. I don't remember yeah, that. I know you do. I know you do, but nobody no. else does. Yeah. You know, it, it it's, is, you're yeah. still a Stanley Cup champion yeah. for everybody yeah. else. Yeah. It, is, it, is, it is the toughest trophy to win in sports. There's no it? question. Hey, no question about it. Like, it is a battle, a yeah. slog. Uh, man, you know, I started the playoffs, I think I was 201. And I was 193 at the Jesus. end. I had a black eye. I was limping. <laughs> like I come back from. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, I was all sucked up. You know. What, what's your take, Chris? On you know, because like I told you, I listened to you every day. I was always in the car at that time of the day when I was still working. And I, what's your take on Canadians fans? Because Canadians fans are, you know, they're super passionate. They're super knowledgeable. Yada yada yada. But the more I hear Canadians fans and some of the dopey idiotic things that all the general managers who call in radio talk shows mm. say, I think to myself, are they the greatest fans in the world? Because some of the things, you know, you were you were kind and gracious to everybody who mm. called, but I could hear your eyes rolling yeah. a couple of times. Like are it, what what's the nature of the fans and and how tough is it on the players to listen to that constant whinging that never ends it, it, listen i don't know how many of the real fans when you think about the people who go to the games too right yeah you know i'm sure there's some in there and then the fans and, and it was different when we played it when we played as we don't read the paper. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, every stall in the locker room has one when you go in there in the morning. Um, uh, and then guys would come up, you know, to Cobb and say, what's this say? What's this say? <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, that's funny. That's what we had to deal with, the French paper and the English paper. Right. And now they got to deal with. Like you said, everybody has their two cents and they're going to say, and so I think it's a little more, and it can be overwhelming and you can say, well, oh, we don't look at it, but guys, they're alone. They're at home. What are people saying? Who likes when someone says bad shit about them? No one does. Like you don't like to be called out. I remember, and I was so young and naive when I first got here, you know, I remember Red Fisher wrote an article and, um, he said, that I, I went after Alan Hankslave, and he hit Lafleur on a shift. And I went out the next shift. I f- went after him, fought him, give it to him. And then Red Fisher wrote the next day. And this is how young and impressionable I was that 
the Canadians, the headline was, Canadians don't need a guy like Chris Island. Oh, God. And I'm like, I'm out of here. Wow. Right? And Red Fisher wrote yeah. it. Yeah, but I didn't know who Red was then. Yeah. Like, Red yeah. liked that. He, you know, yeah. he walked around, never talked to rookies, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was dying. Yeah. He, he did it because <laughs> the rookie would always go to Bob Gain and say, hey, who's that guy? <laughs> yeah. Always. Yeah. That was his game. But Red and I became very good friends over the years. And, um, it, you know, he, he wrote that. But the retort to that was Rocket Rashad was writing in the Star at the time. It was like 81, something like that. And he said, Rocket Nyland does belong on the, and he wrote an article about me. And I, I, I don't have it, but I remember Man. it. And I was wow. like, well, Rocket, are you kidding me? He was Rocket Nyland. <laughs> How do you like them apples, <laughs> yeah. Red? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just funny. Like, you know, you don't like. It, when people write the negative stuff and you know as i get older it's like you know yeah. okay whatever rolls off your back yeah. but i i yeah. you know I mean, takes a while my my friends say to me oh you know he can cry in his contract i feel bad for carrie price i just mm -hmm. do I, I i can't recall a montreal canadian taking the kind of heat grief slash criticism slash yeah i i, I don't know if it's uh with carrie Listen, he'd been an incredible yeah. goaltender here. Yeah. I don't think they've ever given him really a team to. No, no, really, they no, they you have know, not. And he's certainly done his job. Yeah, he signed a contract that everybody would have signed in a hot. Yep, <laughs> and it ended up it, with that comes a lot of pressure. But you know, then you look at his injuries. You look at the time he played, and you know, every year he was hurt or something was going on. He had chronic fatigue one year. You know, he had some off-ice issues another year. Uh, this happened, that happened. We know what happened recently. And I think people get a little... Because yeah. he does not come across as lovey-dovey in the media, you know? No, he's... He doesn't... I, he, I Honestly, I just don't... Like, Brendan Gallagher, people... You talk about Gallagher. He he connects to the fan base. Yeah. And, he, yeah. and listen, it can get tiring. Yeah. But never yeah. once is that kid lashed out no. or... or Denied, you know, talking to the media yeah, he in the most difficult times. Yeah, he comes out when he knows it's yeah. going to be shitty. Yeah, and yeah. Bob Gainey was kind of, was really yeah. like that. He, you know, but it, it, it's not easy. But you know, somebody in that position, like a Carey Price, who the fan base loved and adored, and he's supposedly a leader on this team, and he he's the backbone, and you know, he could make a little more effort Got to you. be a little more open to. Engaged, yeah, engaged maybe. with yeah. the fan base. What yeah. do you think of the changes? Like, what I don't, you really didn't get a chance, right. I don't think, to talk about the new guys who are yeah. driving. You know, I don't know. They got a new GM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got a guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's listen, a guy. there's a guy. <laughs> listen, Jeff Gordon came along. They grabbed him, snapped him up. I think it was a great move. What? Put en français, none. Right. But when you look at what he's done, and I, you look what he did in Boston. He stepped in for Mike O'Connell. He drafted Phil Kessel, Brad Marchand. He traded for Chara. He traded for Tuka Rask. And that wasn't good enough to give him the job, so they went out and got Shirelli. So he ends up going to New York. Look what he did in New York. He's in New York. He ends up bringing Panarin in. Boom. You know, they were going through that reset. 
reset, not a rebuild, a reset. Right. They could, we're going to get rid of some contracts, but they did, and it didn't take too long to turn around. He was responsible for that. And then here he is now going to have an opportunity to paint a whole new picture. You know, yeah, he's, you know, they've given him the brush, and he has some colors, a couple of colors to work with. Now he's got to add more. And, and you got to be able to take that old core that's here and ship them out and get assets, unknown assets, by the way, um, and, and try and rebuild this organization on the goal, uh, on the goal. And, the, you know, they're up against the cap. They got to square some of those money issues, Weber, all that. Hopefully they can get a team like Arizona to, to take that money, to, you know, because some of those teams only spend to the floor, not the ceiling. Right. And so they, they, they got to get creative in that. But I, I like what I see. I like that they brought Hughes in. I know some people aren't happy because he's not a real good Shainu, you know. Uh, oh, well. And I love Martin St. Louis. I do. I love that. Now, everybody said, oh, Gretzky couldn't do the coach and this one, Lemieux. And, uh, Martin St. Louis is a Hall of Famer. But that kid earned every step of the way. He earned his way in the NHL. He wasn't that gifted, talented Easy. This right. is easy for me. So he had to work his way there, which I think is going to help him immensely as far as a coach because he's intelligent when it comes to the game, really intelligent. And I think a young coach going with a young core, like what? why is people have question in this move? Do you want to bring Alan Vino in again? Do you want to bring Terry in back? Do you want to go get some guy from junior? We just had a guy from junior, like, you know, who was, you know, he coached the uh, – the world junior championships and had success. That's great. But, you know, here's a guy coming in. He gets instant respect as a hall of famer uh, and who he is. Now he's going to earn that respect. And I think for these young guys, man, I, I think it's a breath of fresh air for them. Um, you've been really generous with your time. And I, mm. I know Jamie's waiting in the other room. We won't keep you much longer. Mm. There are a couple of things I want to cover. We want to yes. uh, talk about family uh, just ask a couple of questions about family, um, Montreal, Boston, a couple of other things, and then we'll let you go. But before yeah, I fine. do that, um, let's say a thank you to our friends at Merson. Um, Ted and I have told the story every podcast about how we both don't know anything that has anything to do with cars. Uh, I know there are plugs in it, and I know there's gas in it. And I know For now. <laughs> with, yeah, windows and a steering wheel, but that's all, that's all I know about cars. And in in the initial days when I started to drive and buy cars, I got taken everywhere I went. You know, people would say, ah, your massifilator is uh, broken and uh, it's going to be $1,000. And I never knew what to do. And somebody said, you got to go see the Mersons. And Ted and I like to talk about the Merson's honesty. That's a great story you tell about the waiting room, Ted. Well, in the waiting room, if you sit, at the, you go down to Merson and your car is getting worked on, and you sit in the waiting room and you just watch what goes on. And what goes on is the service manager, who is now Mark, used to be Charlie. Uh, he'll come out, and if you eavesdrop, you'll hear things like, "Okay, we've changed your uh, tires. You've probably got ten thousand k left on those on those tires, so keep an eye on the odometer. Uh, your brakes are good, probably for another." 5,000k. Like they tell you up front and honestly what shape your car is in. They don't come out and they go, whoa! 
boy, oh Hope boy. you're sitting down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. gonna run you. <laughs> yeah. No, they'll they're they're a, they're a third, and they're going to be probably a fourth generation family business in a tough business and in a business which, as you say, you don't always find people who are going to be on the up and up with you, and that's the reason why they've lasted as long as they have, and why they have third and fourth generation customers because they're honest. You want to get treated right with your car, go to Merson. MersonAuto.com. It's always fascinated me, Chris, that you ended up in Montreal. I mean, you're such a Boston kid. You know, you're, you're born and raised there, hard scrabble upbringing, you know, like real typical Boston family, Boston friends, you know, like I, you know, it's, I remember going to Boston and, and, and thinking, I wonder who I could get restaurant <laughs> uh, recommendations from. And I, I texted you and you gave me like a whole bunch of them and all the, all in the North end. And, and, and yet you, you're, uh, you're like a God that she knew. <laughs> you're yeah. like a, you're like a Montrealer. Suis très content de te recevoir avec vous, mes amis de Montréal. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I can uh, parler a little. Yeah, you know, I guess if the one thing I, I really wish I, I wish I got it better than I did. It's so difficult to learn. Yes, looked at so many books and looked night I'd be reading. Well, the fact of the matter is, as Anglophones, we can still live and work and go about our daily lives in English in in Montreal because the city is bilingual. If you uh, threw you or me into uh, a shikutami, we'd have it in three months because we'd have no choice. I was there once when I was young and I had a whole lot of fun. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. Mario Trombley and Guy Cavanaugh's golf tournament. I tell you, that was my baptism. What does um, we say? Les bons temps roulent. Les a, les bons temps roulent. Let the good times roll. But I'll tell you, yeah, coming from Boston, you know, I come up here and um, it was right at the beginning and the height of, um, you know, all the companies leaving the. Um, uh, the, the it was the first big exodus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what after what, the PQ got elected? Yeah, yeah the PQ and what, what would they call it? The they were talking about separation. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. And the referendum. The just referendum. Before, yeah, around the time the of the first referendum. referendum. Yeah. yeah, and you know, here I am, this young kid, um, streetwise, all that, blah blah blah, and I get up here and growing up in Boston when I did in the sixties and seventies, there was. There were a lot of race riots in Boston being known as one of the cities. People say it's a racist city and blah, blah, blah. There were a lot of animosities between white and black people in Boston, and it showed there were riots. It was crazy. The busing issue, everything. So I grew up, and I was in the middle of that. And when I got up here, this is how like naive I was. But first of all, I got in the plane to come to training camp, and I thought I was—I might as well have been going to Vancouver. Like I don't—I—I never been on a plane. And you know, by the way, top times have changed. I had my skates with me in my seat. I went in my seat, right? <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So, um, and I got here, and all of a sudden this referendum comes. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I could not understand. No word of a lie. Why all these white people couldn't get along? Wow. Interesting. And, and then yeah. the longer I was here, I understood, okay, the preservation of culture, language. You know, they don't want to lose that, the French people in Quebec. And I don't blame them in a lot of uh, ways. And I understand it. 
But it took me a while to really get entrenched and understand the culture, and I didn't right away. And that's how I looked at it. And that changed certainly over the years, uh, the longer I was here. You just feel at home here. Yeah, I do. I always um, was accepted by the people, the fans, and quite frankly, the French population. Yeah. And, you know, they said, as long as you try. And I did. You know, I, yeah, I never picked it up like Bob Ganey picked up French but, or Larry, but, you know, I picked my way through and um, I can understand a little bit more than I speak. But Wouldn't you like to spend more time at the organization? Yeah, I would. You know, I, I, you know, they've hired ambassadors over the years. Yeah. They've never hired an English one, by the way. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, um, I would have loved to. I have a passion and love for the organization, yeah. for the opportunity they gave me, like no one, like I do. My dad was the same. My dad, like, never wanted me to come to Boston. He never, I never wanted to leave here, by the way, and I, I ended up having to leave, and it was probably the – it almost broke me. Yeah. It almost broke me. I don't know but how, it, it how guys do it. It was I- interesting to me that it, it didn't affect, well, at the time it did, but you and Sir Savard are friends. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, I, it he, affected it the short term, but, yeah. you know, because you, you went must, past that. You must have hated sure. him that day. Yeah, you know, I, I still look back, and his best friend, Claude St. Jean, owned the restaurant across the river. They were always at the track together, really tight, smoked cigars together all the time. He passed away, uh, had a massive heart attack, and we were in uh, Hartford, and I had had it out with Perron about something he said to me, made an inference that I wasn't fighting enough, and I gave him some crap in front of the guys. He didn't like that. And uh, we went to Buffalo, and I was in um, – I was, wasn't on the line with Ganey and Carboneau. I had a different colored practice jersey on. And I went back to the room, and I knew something was up. I was like, I had a bad, bad feeling inside me. And Jacques LaPerrier called me and said, hey, uh, Knuckle. Knuckle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the coach, uh, the coach uh, he wanted to talk with you. And I said, hey, Lappy, listen, you know, I, I love you and I respect you, but I said, if the fucking coach wants to co- talk to me, Tell him to get on the fucking phone and call me. And then Perron called me. He said, hey, Chris, uh, coach, uh, Puddinghead. And Puddinghead uh, called me, and um, he said, uh, I said, what's up? He said, oh, uh, I, I want you to come to my room. Uh, I want to talk about your ice time. I'm like, okay, I'll be right down. Give me the room number. I come. The door's open. I walk in. He's standing there. He said, um, the Surge is on the phone. I'm like, you fucking coward. Yeah. And anyway, so Surge said he traded me. He traded me to St. Louis. And I told him I'm not going to St. Louis. I don't want to go to St. Louis. Well, well, you have to. I said, I don't want to go to St. Louis. And he said, well, where do you want to go? And I said, Boston. He said, I can't do that. I can't. And I know... Talking to people before that Phil Esposito wanted me in New York and it would be close to Boston, close to home. And I said, yeah, I called Phil and see if he wants me in New York. And boom, right away they did the deal. And I ended up going to New York. Ron Caron wanted me in St. Louis. Was it weird to pull on a Rangers sweater? It must be weird. Yeah, it, was it must weird. be weird. I hated it. Eh? And I played against the Canadians. Oh, I hated it. it must have been I so actually weird. broke my arm at the Forum. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, that sucked. Um, 
I went over Patrick head first into the post and I snapped my ulna ball. Yeah. Miserable. But um yeah, I had a real hard time with that. Then I went to Boston. Um and um you know, my first year there was great and then I broke my ankle playing basketball. And uh then the next year they you know, it was getting tough on me and it was hard at yeah, the end. Yeah. You know, I, I knew in my head I'm I'm losing that little yeah. that dreaded half step. You do you, you but feel you it fight in. it. Yeah. I you said I can't it. I can't say okay, I'm yeah. you know, I was tr- doing everything I could to um ward it off right. and I couldn't. I right. couldn't, but you know, it, it sucks. Tell us tell us that about part your, sucks. your your upbringing because you have such a close had such a close family and and family's important to you uh-huh. and you were close to your mom and dad. Yeah, really close. And you know, Christ, they did, you know they were married at my mother was pregnant at seventeen. My mom and dad and eighteen they got married and you know they had to work for everything. And my father, when I look back, what he did, he's an amazing man. You know, all of a sudden, young family at that age uh, went to night school. He was a Green Beret. Um, you know, he jumped out of plane, did all that to, like crazy. Like he did everything he could to make his family succeed. Put food on the table, clothed us, give us a place to live, and um, you know, hockey. He took me skating my first time. I'll never forget it on a puddle in a parking lot on the end of our street, and. Uh, I remember the first time I ever went out, I might have been f- four or five years old, and it was like I had, I friggin' loved it. You know, I had two big, biggest skates on me, and I bombing around, falling down, getting up. I loved it. And then, you know, he helped me uh, when it came time to go play hockey, get me in the league. He drove me around, took me everywhere. My parents were huge, um, really, support for me. And, but I, that doesn't go without saying there were a lot of my dad and I had a lot of um times where we locked horns, you know, very um my dad you know, his discipline was key, you know, we you know, I, there was some you know times when my father would use his hands to get his point across and I I had a lot of resentment. And we butted heads a lot, but I had immense love for him. He was my hero, but I and I didn't understand that as a kid, you know. Um, and even as an adult, I didn't in a lot of ways until I was able to understand it. You know, until I was able to really look at my dad as a little boy and what his life was like. Um, I wasn't able to get get through that pot, you know. But I was, and I did. And it was the best thing that ever happened. We had an unbelievable relationship at the end, um, uh, one-on-one. And and my mom been sick for the last 12 years with dementia, gradually getting worse. He took care of her, never put her in a place, wasn't gonna, didn't, and it eventually killed him, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, it was sad. I, I kind of knew it was going to happen that way. He finally... My buddy, who's right now fighting for his life, put an addition on, just finished last week. He was putting a bathroom downstairs so my parents could live on the first floor because we only have one bathroom in the house upstairs. And he, you know, put that addition on, and uh, my poor dad never got to use the toilet. 
You know, <laughs> just it's terrible. You know, wow. he couldn't wait, and they were so excited about it. And they were going to move the bed downstairs and never having to go up again and down their age. But, you know, so far we've kept my mom in the house. She has 24-hour care. Um, yeah, my my dad uh, was an amazing man, big supporter of mine. Uh, I remember, like I said, the time he used to come to games and, you know, and then the Stanley Cup, you know, yeah. he was here for the Stanley Cup. He rode in the parade on the bus to oh have for wow. the wives and family members. It was awesome. Like, he loved coming to Montreal. He loved it, loved it. Um, loved going out to dinner and the restaurant, staying at the Manoir Le Moyne and, you know, cooking Sunday dinners, at, you know, when he was up here. I living in the hotel. He was – I was living in the apartment at the time. And, you know, he had – you know, everybody be up from home. They all came to Stanley Cup Parade. You know, my brother, my sisters, uh, my brother-in-law, who's deceased now, Danny, he was a cop. He got killed in line of duty. My my sister brought up five kids. My father was huge in helping her. You know, they were between, the time he got killed, they were between 2 and 11. My father was huge in supporting my sister. We all... Um, were there for her in, in a big way. And, you know, she never remarried, nothing. And just, yeah, my, you know, I certainly, um, close to my family, my brother, you know, was in the Navy for years. He loved seeing the su- success I had here. And it was tough for them to watch me go through the difficult times. But, hey, a lot of people ask me, you know, do you regret that? I don't have any regrets. I mean, that's my life. That's the way my life went. Whether I wanted to go that way or not, it went that way. And we I will not it. regret the past nor wish to shut the door all. on it. There's a picture of you and your dad that's popped up on social media a few times, and I was saying to Terry, I've I've seen that picture. I've never met your dad, but when I look at that picture, I go, okay, <laughs> I get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, like that picture speaks a thousand words. I don't know which one that is. Um, now, I know there's a few out there. There's one with my father-in-law, uh, and there's one with my dad. There's one with my father-in-law with the Stanley Cup. No, there's, it's no. just, it's you, I think it's you and your dad and it looks like you're at home, maybe in the kitchen yeah. and it just, there's just something yeah. about that picture that just speaks yeah, yeah, volumes. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Well, I think one of, part of it is, it, it, he was part of the greatest generation as they're called, yeah. right? That's, yeah. and that's, that, that character of that, that kind of man. Wonderful guy. Served the country and. Yeah. Worked hard and you know honesty and all of the yeah. tributes that you, he, you've talked about. He had about. integrity. Was, yeah, integrity. Yeah. There's no question yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, was certainly, uh, you know, I don't know if the one you're talking about, Ted, is within the kitchen. He's cutting uh, roast beef, and I'm over his shoulder. Maybe, couple, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not too sure. It just, but yeah. I just, I look at that, and I, and it's just so obviously your dad. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, among yeah. other things. But it just, he just looks, he looks tough as nails. Yeah, he he just looks man. tough yeah. as nails. Yeah. Never rubbed off. No this, question. This is going to be our longest episode for sure. Yeah, and it's been a great joy. And I'm not. I'm not. Oh, here we go. Look at what Poseidon has done here. This is. Oh, yeah. Uh, top row. Other guy. Top row for yeah. our left. The, yeah, that one. Yeah, that one there. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there. Right on my the, daughter, uh, Colleen. Yeah. That's the Barry Beck night. Yeah. Imagine we just talked about that. Yeah. That. That's my father's Stanley Cup ring. I gave him the Stanley Cup ring. Wow. Uh, and then Serge gave me another one after Is that right? Me. Oh, really? 
They're the only two. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. My Jesus, brother. You, look at you with the cup. You're quite the baby, eh? Yeah. <laughs> the baby yeah. face, yeah. Chris. Yeah. yeah. This, uh, this has been a great joy, and, and I, I can't thank you enough, Chris. I know everybody and their brother has been calling you for uh, interviews and stuff, so I'm, I'm deeply grateful to you. Yeah, really honored you guys are awesome. Said. Known you certainly for years. Yeah. I always love listening to both of you. Ted, funny, good stuff on the radio all those years. And you, Terry, I remember back on uh, Green Ave when I – first come up here i remember i come on your show years ago it was a long time ago yeah yeah Yeah. and um yeah i appreciate it but listen when you trust people and you're comfortable with people it's easy to do well maybe when you're a big podcast star you can have us on your show yeah yeah Yeah. sure good luck with it i I hope it gets yeah i hope you get it trying to find my way again like i said we'll see um, it's uh time for us to wrap it up and thank uh, the folks at jaguar land rover laval and uh, the UPS store, Merson's, Matt Labonneur, and Poseidon. Very, yes, very gentlemen. patient. Thank you. Oh, no, no, no. And, uh, my pleasure. Good picture. Graphic. Yeah, nice job. Excellent. Well Excellent. done. That's what, a, that's what a good producer does. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Chris. Good stuff. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by Jaguar Land Rover Laval, where the luxury is unmistakably British. But nobody wears a top hat or a monocle. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.